for those people that say, oh, the Bible, you can just pick up, you know, finances in the Bible and you teach, it's wrong. The Bible does not teach that. You can find those things there because it is human relations taking place in the Bible too, in those stories. So, I debunk that, you know, when you see people teaching that, it means that you have not really preached the gospel. And the gospel is missing in when you see people teaching economics. And this is the same reason why, I'm sorry to say, why an unbeliever will listen to a message, a clip, and will have the confidence, a clip that is taught by a teacher, and will have the confidence to share it. You know why? Because Christ is missing in that message. Because the moment you bring in the person of Christ into a message, both every other religion and every other person will not be able to share that message. So, that some pastors preach about finances and, and, and morality. I'm intentionally removing the mic. Sorry about that. So they share it on their, on their speech about just like two minutes clip on finances. And when they share it, that this man has shared it, shared it just like this. So we understand safety. So they share it. So if believers, right, so the, the summary of what I'm saying is simply to say that the Bible does not teach it, does, does not teach those things. But you can find them in the Bible. Are we together? Now, if we say the Bible teaches finances, economics, literature, um, alliance making and arts um, and making of war, it will mean that what is written in Hebrews chapter 1 should include all of those things. So let's read Hebrews chapter 1 together. It's a long ago at many times, in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So he said, God has spoken to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has done what? Spoken to us by his son, who he, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created what? The world. So it will mean that what God is speaking, what God has been speaking by the prophets, by the messengers from the scriptures, would include all of this. Do we get the logic? Right? So if we say that God has been, you know, if we say that the Bible teaches these things, all the secular areas of life, it will mean that what God has been speaking from the time of the prophets would include economics, would include finances, would include literature, would include the art of making war. It would include every other areas of life. But that is not it. And how do we know? Now, if you continue to read Hebrews, and because we say it's a discussion and you remove the chapter 1 and chapter 2 thing and you combine them together, right? By the time you get to Hebrews chapter 2, the message that God is communicating is revealed in chapter 2. Are we together? So, the message that God is communicating 
which I said is not economics, finances, or arts of war, or relations. Or, the message that God is communicating is revealed in chapter 2. Now, he said, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, right? That is what has been spoken by the prophet that has been communicated to us. Lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared first at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard it. So what is the message that was declared by the prophets? Can you shout it? What is the message that was declared by the prophets? Salvation. So it means that if you read all the prophets and all the messengers of God, the message you are seeing is salvation. So all those things that are taking place is taking place because man is using his intuition to create things. And even some of these people that we learn these things from, or you find in the scripture, creating these things are people who have not believed. For example, the art of making wars and forming alliance against the people of God. All right. So the message is actually salvation. The message is salvation. Now, most of the time we use this place and we say that um, we, use, we misuse it or we have misused it before to mean backsliding. It does not mean backsliding, okay? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 to 4 does not mean backsliding. It's only saying that the message that has been proclaimed by the prophet, the message that we have heard that has been transferred to us, that has been attested and confirmed to us, if we look away from that message, right, you cannot be safe if you look away from that message. So to drift away or to turn away or to look away is not someone that has believed. First of all, they've not shown any aspect of anyone believing here. They've only only said that God has spoken a message, right? And the chapter 2 is saying that we have heard the message. Do we get it? Chapter 1 has said a message has been passed. Chapter 2 is said we have heard the message. It's now saying that if we turn away from that message... We cannot be saved. It is not about backsliding. Okay? It is not about backsliding. So if you drift away, which means turn away for this message, we cannot be saved. Now, and I'll say something. He said, this message was first declared by who? The Lord. Did you see that? In verse 3. He said, this, it was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard. So the Lord declared this message to the prophet, and the prophet spoke this message to our fathers, and from our fathers, we receive this message. Have you seen it? So that's what the person, the, the writer of Hebrews is actually pointing towards, so that we can see. Now, Pastor Lu said something, and everything that you wanted to do in his teaching, I'm going to make a lot of references to his teaching, because most of what I said link up to what I'm teaching. Link up so well. If some of the things he has mentioned. So, whatever you have done, or whatever you think you're going to do, in your new creation realities, right, God had done it. Okay? God had done it. And that includes the preaching of the message of the gospel. Do you get it? So, we are seeing it here clearly that 
this message of the gospel was first preached by the Lord himself. Right? It was at the beginning taught by God himself. Right? So the message of salvation was revealed, was preached by God. And all of those who believe in the Old Testament also were preached to by God. Let me put it that way. So they, they were preached to. The Lord told them the message and they believed. All right. So, so this message was first preached by God. It was first declared at first by God. So we're just going to go quickly to Genesis. We're going to go quickly to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. And most of us, we should know the scriptures. So it takes us back towards the first. Which is what? The beginning. So then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the earth, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, this is God explaining his intention of making man in his image. And this is the gospel. Do we get it? So God is passing the message that I want man to be found in me. So the Lord himself is teaching here. So this is the first declaration where you find anything about being born again or man being found in the image of God or God creating man in him. Do we get it? This is the first place. And this is the first place that says that it was first declared to us. By the, it was first declared by the Lord, not us. Hallelujah. So, the message of salvation is actually not something new. It's not something that you are finding in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Of course, we call them the Gospels, right? It has a meaning, but it's not new. So, the God, God himself declared this message. Now, if you go to Exodus 3, I'm sorry, Genesis 3, also one of the scriptures that we used yesterday... He said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And we were also told that this offspring is also talking about all that will come into Christ. Was that taught yesterday? That was taught yesterday. So you don't miss that. That was taught yesterday. That is not, being, is not talking about just Christ, but all that will come into Christ. So we see again the Lord declaring the salvation of the Lord. Do we get it? Are we together? All right. Now, so can we say God is doing evangelism here already? Can we say that? Is God preaching the message? Yes, we can say that. However, did you find any word related to evangelism here? No. No. So, we didn't find the word. So that is why when you read the scriptures, right, there are certain times where some words are now being used to describe a theme or what Pastor taught us yesterday as the motif, right? So if you check stories, you will find these occurrences. But at some point, they never had a word for it, right? So the preaching of the gospel at this time never had, in, in these two verses that were, did not have a word. So my aim today is actually to take us through some scriptures to see the introduction of the word evangelism, right? 
and to see how it came into the New Testament, how it was translated into the New Testament, and what it meant. Do we get it? And what it meant. All right. Now, I'll just like to, I'll just like to mention again to just backtrack a little bit that in Genesis 1:26, right? In Genesis 1:26, what is happening in the scripture is that God is saying is saying that in his own kingdom, he's talking about a spiritual activity that is taking place in God's kingdom. I think you should put that down. That God is talking about a spiritual activity that he is making to happen in his kingdom. This will help us when we are seeing the understanding of what evangelism is. So, God is saying, in my kingdom, I'm going to make man to be found in me. Of course, we know those are, you know, those are supernatural, which Pastor Vula has been emphasizing. So, there's a supernatural that is taking place in this place. All right. So let's go to the first scripture, 1 Samuel 4.17. 1 Samuel 4.17. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 17. Is media helping you? So we want to see, you know, the use of the word evangelism. How, the, how, how did we derive from it? Because from the use of that word at that time, you would really understand what it means. So 1 Samuel 4, 17. So, so the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Ophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Now, the word, the messenger there, is the word Bashar, B-A-S-A-R. Follow the word, because we are going to keep checking it until we check it and we see how it connected to evangelism. So the word there is Bashar. Now, this is a person that carries the message, right? So this person is supposed to be that person that will come back and give the message of the victory of Israel. Do we get it? So the responsibility of this messenger that came to give this bad news, of course, not a good news, but the same word that was used there, his responsibility was to come back and tell the prophet that Israel had won. But it turned out the other way around that Israel had fled before his enemies. So, his responsibility is to come and explain the activities that is happening in the kingdom of Israel on the battlefield. Do we get it? So what we see there is that he has come to explain the activity of another kingdom, saying that, oh, this, the kingdom of the Philistines, they are actually, you know, winning the battle. Are we together? So the word, the messenger there is Bashar. So this is the first, I mean, not exactly the first place, but it's one of the important places where you can see. So it means that the word evangelism, no, no evangelism, let me not go too far. The word Bashar or the messenger is used in the context of War. Do we see it? It's used in the context of war. It's used in the context where a kingdom is taking over another kingdom. Did we see that there? So, it's used in the context where a kingdom 
is taking over another kingdom. And the person coming to share the message is actually the messenger. So this guy came here to preach. If you, if you just move that way, it's like he came to preach the gospel, but that was not a gospel because this is not in the context of the salvation of God. Right? The next scripture. The next scripture. Second Samuel 14. Where we'll find the same word, Bashar. Now, this word is different from another Hebrew word, right? Because there are two of them. There's another Hebrew word, which is Bashar too, but it's pronounced B-A-S-A-W-R. Okay? So, because when I was searching, I discovered that there were two of them. The first one, which is Bashar, B-A-S-A-W-R, the one that has a W in the pronunciation, they are the same spelling. But in the pronunciation of it, it's different. That one means the flesh, right? If you have checked the scripture very well, you will find it that B-A-S-A-R, the pronunciation that includes a W, S-A-W-R, means the flesh. But this one does not include the flesh. This is not the flesh. The pronunciation of this does not include the W. So there are two different words. There are two different words, right? So, first Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 4, 10. And the quote for this one is actually Hebrew 1319. I mean, some of us that use these scriptures, you will see that it has, the Hebrew word have their codes, like H, uh, H1319. So this is H1319, and that is actually H1320. So they are the same word close to each other. Now, verse 10, please. So the king said, whosoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and it shall not touch you anymore. Right? Sorry. 14, okay, yes. Second Samuel 14. When someone told me saying, look, Saul is dead. Thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziegler. The one who thought I would give him a reward for his words, for his news. Now, this fellow thought that he's telling King David. Now, this is actually, David was actually, if you read it very well, the scriptures, um, the part of that scripture, he was actually telling someone, sharing a testimony that you came here to tell me, right? You came here to tell me that, sorry, just one minute, let me quickly open that scripture so that I can, I can explain it to us uh, in the context of what was taking place there. So you came here to tell me that Saul's son, Ishbosheth, right, was dead. So, because you know in the scriptures, David had lots of enemies. As much as he had a lot of enemies, he had a lot of sympathizers too. That likes to bring the good news to him. That his enemies are dead. Now, this is a prince that was dead. The son of Saul was dead. And someone was coming to tell David, this is good news. For David, natural standpoint of view, this should be what? A good news. Because your enemy is dead. So, we see that... David now referred to another occurrence, something that taking place that the one who came to tell me that Saul was dead, I killed him. You now came to tell me that Saul's son is dead. It means I will kill you too. That is what actually taking place there. That was literally taking place there, right? So, the servants perceive good news, right? They perceive good news as a news that is in favor of a particular kingdom or a particular person. Do we get it? 
So what, they, what, what the servants came to do is that they noticed that there's a feud between Saul and David. Right. So whatever is in the detriment of Saul should be a good news for who? For David. But the prophet David himself understood beyond that. So you understood what the real salvation of God is. So what I'm just pointing out here is that you can see that the word was also used when two people are in contests, right? And one is making exploits against the other, right? That is what we see here. So we see that the word Bashar is also the word brought good news in this context. So we are still tracing. What we are doing is we are tracing. We will trace, trace, trace until we get to the New Testament so that we can see. But don't, don't forget the, the features, the characteristics of the things that, that I'm sharing, right? That we are seeing from there. Exploit between two kingdoms, right? Did we see that? Yes. Two people contesting, one making waves over the other. Did we see that? Yes. Okay. All right. So let's go to Samuel. I think most of these scriptures are just from, from Samuel. Is that First Samuel thirty one nine? Can we go there? First Samuel thirty one nine. I don't know. They use this word a lot here, in in the book of Samuel. Is that and they cut off his head and stripped off his hammer and sent word through the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. Right. So this was actually talking about the death of of Saul. Right. So this was talking about the death of Saul. So, the word proclaim, right, the word publish, which is what they use here, the word publish is the same word Bashar. So, we are seeing that the Philistines, they also, I mean, the, the, in that context, they use the word to proclaim good news when they had victory over Israel. Now, all of this has nothing to do with the salvation of the Lord, right? So, it's not in the context upon which we can build. But we can see that in the language of that time, don't forget, when you are learning, you learn the language, you learn the culture, and the supernatural context is there. So the language context, you can see what is taking place. Now let's now begin to see, in regards to the proclaiming the salvation of God, where the sword was also used. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Isaiah 52, verse 7. We are just tracing. So we've traced the ones that are about kingdoms fighting against kingdoms, physical kingdoms. And now we are going to see the ones that this word is actually being used in the context of the salvation of the Lord. Isaiah 52 verse 7. So Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news and publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your God does what? Reigns. Now, if you read the context, it's actually talking about people who were in captivity before that message came. was actually talking about from verse 1. Let's read from verse 1, uh, Isaiah 52. It said, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. They shall no more come into you, the uncircumcised, the unclean, right? So they shall not be taken in captive. So it's giving them hope. Shake yourself up from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Lose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. 
For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without what? Without money. You will be redeemed without what? Money. Now let's go to Ephesians 1 verse 7. You do want to use some of the scriptures here. Ephesians 1 verse 7. It said, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his what? Of his grace. Hallelujah. Are we together? So, what does it mean for you to buy something without money? What does it mean? To get something without money. You said? Free. Is that grace? Yes. Do we get it? So the redemption of God's people will not be of something that they will pay a price for, right? But of something that we can find in Ephesians 1 verse 7, that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his words, of his grace. Do we get it? So that is the context of what is happening before they now mentioned how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So the good news is that they will be free without having to pay anything. So, for thus says the Lord, my people, so let's continue with that reading, verse 4. For thus says the Lord, my people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what I have, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, therefore rulers will, declares the Lord, and continually all the and continually, all the day, my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. So then I said, how beautiful, right? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good tidings. Now, the good tidings here is in the context of God saving his people. Okay? And that is the word Bashar again. Do we get it? That is the word Bashar. So we see it in this context. David, is that my entire time, right? Everything. Okay, thank you. All right. So let's go to Isaiah 61. Let's run up a little bit. Let's run up a little bit. Isaiah 61 verse 1. So the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them, to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdresses instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, and they that they shall be called the oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be watched. Glorified. Who is talking in this context? Who is talking in this context? Who is saying this? The prophet, right? This is the prophet talking, right? Saying, This is my assignment. I've been anointed to do this function, right? I've been anointed to do what? This function. So we've heard from, from the teaching that Pastor Lu said. The anointed ones, right? The, the priests, the prophets, and the kings, right? So in this context, we are seeing the prophets saying that I've been anointed to do what? To proclaim what? The good news. Do we get it? So the good news here also is actually in the context of God's deliverance. Do we get it? 
The good news here is also in the context of God's deliverance. And that's what you see, say, to bring good news to the poor. To send, he now begins to explain what this means. To send, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty. So begin to pick the characteristics of what this good news would be in this context. So begin to pick them and look at them. One, to bind up the brokenhearted. So the good news, right, Bashar will all mean that to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, to proclaim liberty. So we are seeing it here in this context. Is that the opening of prison to them that are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So it's talking about the acceptance of the Lord, God receiving his people, the vengeance of the Lord of our God, and to comfort all who mourn in Zion. So we see the elements of what God's deliverance entails. Do we see that? You will need to hold the scripture very well, this particular scripture, because it's what will help you to understand that it's actually evangelism that has been talked about. All right. So, let's go to uh, um, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 23. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 23. Another place where we have that word. So sing to the Lord all the heads, proclaim the good news of the of his salvation day by day. So this person is saying that proclaim the good news. He's saying that share the deliverance of God day by what? Day by day. So it means that the writer is saying that the people of God should talk about his deliverance every day. As we're explaining the oath from the scriptures, you can see a practice. You can see an encouragement there. That the proclaiming of the good news should something that should be done what? Every day. Every day. Every day. So it's, it's the same word that we find in that context. Uh, Psalms 40 verse 9. Let's quickly run. Psalm 40 verse 9. Psalm 40, verse 9. It said, I have proclaimed the good news of the righteousness. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you yourself know. So talking about the good news of God, the same word Bashar being explained in this context. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop there and I'm going to, I'm not going to share any of the scriptures about the use of it. But you have consistently seen, right? Have we consistently seen it? That the proclaiming of the good news of God is something that is present in the Old Testament, right? The proclaiming of the deliverance of God. And we see that that same word was used when kings were fighting each other, when nations were fighting each other, and one is winning. This word in the New Testament, in the New Testament, what we call the New Testament scripture, is translated to uyegelion, which is the word we call the gospel, right? So, this word is translated to uyegelion. So, it's, the spelling is E-U-A-G-E-L-L-I-O-N. E-U-A-G-E-L-L-I-O-N. That is the meaning, of, that, is the, that is the Greek version of Bashar. So Bashar is Hebrew and the Greek version is Evangelion. 
Now, I can just read Matthew 4, verse 23. Some of you that have this interlinear Bible, you can check it, right? Matthew 4, verse 23. Matthew 4, verse 23. Let's go there. It said, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. So if you have an interlinear Bible, can you tell me which word is that word gospel there? Can you check it? Let me engage us a little bit. For some of us that have that interlinear, can you check it? The word there, gospel. Can you spell it? Can anyone spell it? Is it the Uyajelian that is there? Okay, good. So. How did, I, how did I know, right? How did I know that this is actually the same word? You know, because here there is no link, right? Are we together? There's no link that is connecting it yet. I just came here and I saw the gospel. And because I can assume that Jesus is preaching about the gospel of the kingdom. And I can just say, oh, since the preaching of the gospel is in Isaiah. And this is also the preaching of the gospel. And that is, you know, the translation of it. But in the real sense, it's actually the translation of it. Now, how will I know? I have to carry Isaiah 61. Remember, Isaiah 61 verse 1 was quoted by Jesus. Right? It was quoted by Jesus. That's the easy way to know if this is the real word. So, I have to carry Isaiah 61 in the Greek version and check it if it's the same word. So, let's go to Luke chapter 4 verse 18. This is how you trace it. So, this is actually a very easy way to trace it because a word that has been quoted from the Hebrew part... Right? If you come to the New Testament, it will be the Greek version. So when you are checking your interlinear, it will be giving you a Greek part of it. So you will see the Greek meaning of that Isaiah 6 to 1, verse 1. So Luke chapter 4, verse, verse 18. It said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, please check now the same word, gospel. So the good news that Isaiah preached that is called Bashar in this context is what? It's called Eugelion. So now we can now conclude that the same message of the gospel has been preached from where? From the Old Testament. We've seen it preached from the Old Testament. Hallelujah. Did we see the connection? Did we get it? All right. So let's go to Mark chapter 1, verse 14 as well. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It said, now after Jesus was put in prison, Jesus, after, sorry, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now you realize that there's something that has been introduced. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of what? Of God. is being introduced in this context. In most of the context of the gospel, it's taught as the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Now Acts 20.24. Acts 20.24. So we see this in the, in, in the synoptics, what we call the gospel. If you go to Acts chapter 20 verse 24, you see the same thing being preached there. It said, but none of these things move me, 
nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and that the ministry which I receive from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Are we seeing it? The gospel of the grace of God. That is also the word eugelion. So it means that we are seeing it both in the Old Testament. We saw it in the New Testament and we realize it's not new, right? What we call the New Testament, the gospel is not new. And we see it also in the Acts, in the Acts of Apostles. All right. So let's go to Acts 21 verse 8 to 9. Acts 21 verse 8 to 9. We've seen it as the noun. Now, in, in this place that we're going, we want to see it as a verb, as an action, right? Or not a verb, but as an office. Let me put it that way. We want to see it as what? As an office, right? As a duty. Okay, yes, I think the word duty worked. It said, on the next day, we who were Paul's companion departed from, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Hallelujah. Now, this is not Philip the Apostles. Are we aware of that? Are we aware of that? That this is not Philip the Apostle. Okay, so let's go to Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 6 so that we can quickly clear that so that you can know that this guy is actually not the Apostle, but he's actually the evangelist. And they intentionally put that. And they put the word among the seven. So where does the seven come from? Everything is in Acts. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. So now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint, a complaint by the Hellenistic arose against the Hebrews because of their widows who had been neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So when they said the twelve, so it means that Philip who is part of the apostles, was among the twelve. Do we get it? You're not getting it. They said the twelve disciples, the twelve apostles, came together and called other disciples and told those disciples that we cannot leave the teaching of God's word and serve tables. So it means that the twelve are here and the disciples are there. Now, look at what now happened. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, please the whole congregation. So, I think before that, verse 3 says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom will appoint, who will appoint to this duty, right? So, the duty of distribution of food. Nevertheless, they were men filled with the Spirit. Now, look at what they said. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole congregation. So after that, what did they do? They chose Stephen, man full of faith, right? And the Holy Spirit. And who? And Philip. So it means that there's another Philip in the congregation. And if you go back to that Acts chapter 21, it said Philip the words, the evangelists. So he's trying to attach the function or the duty of evangelism to this brother, right? Let me call him a brother. So it means that he, that is the job he did. Now, if you read very well, and you know, most of the time we say, always remove the chapters. Sometimes remove the chapters. And read chapter 6. Uh, if you read chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter, yeah, chapter 6 to 7 to 8. 
you will see that what happened is actually after they chose the seven, right? After they chose the seven, the subsequent chapters explain what happened to Stephen, the first one, and Philip, the second one. Do we get it? Because what happened to them was supernatural, right? They did a supernatural thing. So they had to, they, they, notify, they noticed that and put it in the scripture. So we see that they talk about Stephen and all that Stephen did in verse 8 of chapter 6. Verse chapter 7, everything, how he preached the gospel, the message of salvation. And when it came to chapter 8, they now talk about this Philip, who is actually who? The evangelists. And that is the same Philip that was referred to in 21. And don't forget, they said, Philip, that is among the words, the seven. So here, we see the evangelism as a duty, a work. Actually, we see it as a work, a work of the ministry. All right. So, Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. So, we are tracing. We've traced it, and now we are in the epistles. We trace it from the Old Testament up until the epistles. So, he gave the apostles, the prophets, okay, 4.11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Right, so we see it here as part of the equipping, part of the gifts, right? Part of the offices, right, that Christ established, right, in the body of Christ. So it has it moved from being a message that is preached, a function, explaining the exploit of kings, to explaining the gospel of the kingdom, to something that is now an office that is being carried out. Do we see it there? Now, 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. So, be, but you will be watchful in all those things, and your affliction, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill what? Your ministry. Now, we need to read all of some other things that are surrounding that scripture so that we can understand it. So, let's start from verse 1. Let's read together from Timothy, chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is, the, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in and out of season, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, look at what he now said. He said, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, that is where he now brought in that context. Do we see? So he said that the time will come where people will not be interested in listening to the gospel. Now, before this, before this time, right, before Paul was writing this time, what you see in the church is that God added how many? 3,000. 1,000. Like in thousands. But Paul is saying that the time will come where people will not be interested in these things. People will not, you know, they don't want to listen to the gospel. They don't want to listen to the message of God. They don't want to endure sound doctrines. Right? Right? So here is actually not, I mean, I don't think this is talking to believers, 
right? It's talking to people who would see the truth and would turn away, right? It's not backsliding, right? So, but he now said, you, you're guilty when there are times where people don't want to enjoy sound doctrine. The duty of Timothy is to do what? Is to do the work of what? The evangelist. So it means that evangelism is also very crucial when you find out that people are loving myths. Like you are seeing people following signs. People are following um, horoscope. People are following fables. That should trigger you to do the work of an evangelist. Do you get it? So that should trigger you to do what? To do the work of an evangelist. When you see people going after the teachings of this world, grabbing teachers around for themselves. So the emphasis here is that we see that it's now a ministry. It's now what? A ministry. So together now, let's check. The things that we find when the gospel is being talked about, right? When the gospel is being talked about. I mean the preaching of the gospel. First, so I just highlighted them here so you can write it down. First, when the message of God has been preached or evangelism is taking place, the first thing that you find there is the reign of God. The reign of God. The reign of God is what you will first find. That is why he calls it the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the activities of the reign of God. So one, you find the reign of God when you're talking about the gospel. Second, you find salvation, right? Salvation, which is also the word deliverance, right? You find the word deliverance, you find salvation. From all the texts you have read, this is what you will find, right? In other words, salvation, you find freedom, right? Liberty, freedom from captivity. Freedom from what? Captivity. So you find the reign of God, you find salvation, which is deliverance. You find freedom from captivity. In other words, you also find the recovery of the blind. Now, all those things are same. Actually, all of them are actually the expression of the reign of God. Do we get it? So I put the reign of God first as number one so that you can put that as the foundation of it. So we see the recovery of sights. Another thing that you see when the gospel is being preached is access to God. It talks about the acceptable here of what? Of the Lord. So what we see also when the the gospel is being preached is we see victory. We see victory in the preaching of the gospel. We see peace in the preaching of the gospel, right? In all of this. Are we together? All right. So, now let's go to Colossians 2, verse 15. Colossians 2 verse 15, so that we can see one of those places where the scriptures explained it. Um, Start from verse 13. Start from verse 13, please. It said, and you who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made alive with him. God made alive together with him. Having forgiven all, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debts that stood against us, with that stood against us with its legal demands. This is set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over, over what? Over them. Is this the gospel? Yes. What do we see there? First, did you see freedom there? Did you see freedom there? He said, by canceling the debts, the record of debt that stood against you. So it means that there's a charge that was against you. Right? So Christ canceled that. That is one, that one thing that you see there. He said, this is set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15 now said, he disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Now, this is the gospel because it's talking about the reign of God taking place. Do we get it? Good. Okay, I have 30 minutes. All right, so I'm not going to ask a question now. I'm now going to ask you a question and you will answer me. If I go about, right? If I go about talking about the charges and the legal demands that sin placed on the person. Am I preaching the gospel? Am I preaching the gospel? Good. If I go about teaching people about hell, I go there and what I'm teaching him is about condemnation and hell. Have I preached the gospel? Thank you. If I go about teaching people about demons and revelations of how these demonic people or these demonic spirits are in operations to create fear and, you know, trembling. <laughs> you know, some people used to misquote that scripture, knowing the wrath of God. To create wrath in the mind of people. Am I preaching the gospel? No. So it means that the gospel is a good news that does not contain condemnation, that does not contain fear, that has nothing, right, to do with the fear of hell that you want to use to threaten people. But rather is focused on what God did, the exploits of God. Do we get it? It talks about all the activities of God's kingdom that made it possible for man to be found in God. That is actually the gospel. All the things God did, right, that man might be found in what? In God. So it means that if I go about preaching, my focus should be the deliverance of God, right? The exploit of God. How God has given victory over the principalities and power. Now, we already know what principalities and power is, right? We've had clarity over that. Ephesians 1 explains it. We see it also in, in Colossians. So, for me to preach to someone, to threaten someone with demons and principalities and power is not the gospel. Are we together? 
However, I, however, if someone now refuses to believe the gospel, right? Of course, there's consequences for that. But your message is not the consequences of that. You have no business with that. The business is to teach what God has done that people might believe. Hallelujah. Are we blessed? Yes, we're getting it. All right. So now there are other contexts where the word, um, the word gospel is actually not used. Okay? I showed us in Genesis, right? I showed us in Genesis 1.26. And I said, God was actually preaching the gospel there from that scripture. Now there are other instances where you find the theme of the gospel as well, but the word gospel was not shared. So we go to Philemon, Philemon chapter 1 verse 6. Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. I just did all that to, to make sure that we, we take our minds off what we used to teach or what we used to know as, as uh, what do you call it? As evangelism. All right. From verse 4. Let's say from verse 4. Says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for the saints. Do you know another place where this scripture was actually quoted? This particular, like this same, almost exactly. This is Ephesians chapter 1. It says, I give thanks to God, remembering in my prayers. I mean, I think, I think we can go there, we can just read, just to corroborate, you know, the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1. I think that's where it says, it says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith, right? Heard of your faith and love. I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love towards the saints. So by this, you can know that it's Paul that is also writing here. So because he has heard of this faith and of the love towards the Lord Jesus Christ for all the saints. Now verse 6 says, I pray that the sharing of what? Of your faith may become effective. For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now give me KJV of that, please. Philemon 1 verse 6. KJV. So the communication of thy faith may be effectual. So that the sharing of your faith, maybe, maybe KJV. So the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So the word communication of your faith can also be used as the preaching of the gospel. Okay? So that is a theme that's occurred in that place. So, so the communication of your faith. So it means that the gospel has to be what? Communicated. Alright, 1 Peter 3.15. I'm not going to dwell on these scriptures because I still have to teach them in some places. 1 Peter 3.15. So, but sanctify the Lord in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you, that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So, the word to be ready to always give an answer, right? To give an answer is actually to communicate what your faith. So, that is another place where the Bible is teaching communication of your faith. So, be ready to communicate your faith. Be ready to give an answer. Hallelujah.
So I'm just going to read, uh, I'm just going to go through two more, two more scriptures. Then I will deal with uh, just one more thing. Then we'll continue tomorrow. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 10. We've seen the communication of faith, right? In the epistles. The communication of it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 verse 40. Are we there? Matthew chapter 10 verse 40. It says, Whosoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he's a prophet, will receive, because he's a prophet, will receive a reward, a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he's righteous, because he's a righteous person, he will receive a righteous person's reward. And whosoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now, this place needs special explanation. Why? Because we have used this scripture in many ways. To collect offering, to collect sowing of seed to prophets. It says, whosoever you know, knows the prophet, how did he put it? He said, whosoever receives the prophet will receive what? The prophet's reward. Right? So, we've used it to do many things. Do many things. Whosoever receives me, in fact, even giving a cup of water. You know, you want to do kindness. You want to do morality. No, no, that's not what the scripture is saying. But what he's saying is actually there already. Even without reading from the verse 1 of chapter 10. He said, whosoever receives me, receives you, receives me. Right? Whosoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. So, it means that Whosoever receives, so verse, verse 41, the one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet receives the prophet's reward. So it means that whosoever receives a disciple of Christ, right, because he's carrying a message, will receive Christ and thereby has received the Father. That's what that place means. We're going to see it when we read it from verse. So he said, a prophet receives a prophet. Who is a prophet? A prophet is someone who carries a message, right? Are we together? A prophet is someone who carries the message of Christ. And the reward of receiving a prophet is that you receive the message the prophet has brought. And when you receive the message the prophet has brought, your own reward is that you receive Christ. That is the preaching of the gospel. Do we get it? So he's not sowing and, and, and sowing into a prophet's life. No, he's talking about when someone brings the gospel to you and you receive it because he's a messenger of God. The same thing is just kept saying it in different words. Receiving a prophet. Receiving me, receiving a prophet. Now let's go. Receiving a righteous one. It's the same thing that he's saying. He said that anyone who receives a righteous person because he's righteous, because he's a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. That is receiving Christ. Like you are receiving life. 
He now says, verse 42, he said, Whosoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. It's not talking about taking care of men of God. It's not talking about that. A cup of water is fellowship. I accept you into my house. I receive you into my house. When I receive you, I receive the message that you have brought to me. So it's there also communicating the gospel of the kingdom of God. Right? Those are the last verses of Matthew 10. So the person who was basically believed because you receive eternal life because you have believed the message of the prophet, of the disciple, you have received Christ. So that one, I, do, I mean, I don't think I need to go too much to even explain that. It's just clear there. But how do I know it's the gospel? Now, go to Matthew, the same Matthew chapter, then go to verse 1. Go to verse 1, and we'll read it in the context of what is what is saying. He said, and, and he called to him, and he called to him his 12 disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits, and to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. And the name of the 12 of apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip, and the Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphonsus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, the next verse, he said, this Jesus sent out, instructing them. So that is the, that's the basis of everything that was happening in, that last ver- in those last verses. He said, Jesus instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. You receive without pain, give without pain. It's talking about go and preach the message of salvation. Do we get it there? So these are contexts that is talking about the message of Christ. All right. Let's also go to verse 26. Verse 26 of that same scripture. We already established that it's the gospel from this point. No. So now he now said, So we have no fear of them, for nothing, for nothing is covered. Right? I think I, I need to read from. I don't want to read the whole verse, but I just want to read a couple of verses. From verse 24. It said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciples to be like his teacher and the servant like his masters. If they have called me the master of, if they are called the master of the house, Bezebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So fear, have no fear of them, right? So it's talking about when you go to preach, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be reviewed or hidden. That will not be known. For I tell you what I tell you in the dark. Say it in the light. And what you whisper. And what you hear whisper. Proclaim at the housetop. And do not fear those who kill the body. But cannot kill the soul. Here is also talking about what? The preaching of the gospel. What Christ has taught his disciples. Preach it. What he has taught them in the, in the corners. Go out and do what? Proclaim it publicly. If you go to verse 32, it says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whosoever denies me before men, I will also deny. No. So all that chapter was just talking about 
believe in the scripture. Hallelujah. All right. So we've, we've been able to establish that. Now, for, let's go back to Philemon 1 verse 6, please. I think that's where I'm going to stop for today. So I've done, I've done explanation of what scriptures is and what evangelism is and the context by which it has been talked about without using the word. Now, he said, I pray that the partnership... No, give me KJV, please. Please, don't be switching. Just leave it as KJV. He said, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of everything which is yours in Christ. Now, this scripture is pointing us to the first thing that is key in the communication of your faith. And that is what? Knowledge. So write it down. Knowledge is key to the communication of your faith. Knowledge is what? Is key to the communication of your faith. The way to read this is that, that the communication or the sharing of the gospel might become effective when you acknowledge all that is yours in Christ. Hallelujah. So knowledge is crucial for sharing the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that you are going to, right? Listen, I'm not saying that you are going to know all the eschatologies or all the, um, the end time teachings or you, you, you might not know certain answers to certain things. So what does this scripture tell us? That when you acknowledge all that is yours in Christ, it's not talking about any eschatology. Say, you know who you are in Christ. All that is found in Christ, all that is about you in Christ, when you know it, then you have the capacity to be effective in what? In the communication of what? Of the gospel. So knowledge is key. Hallelujah. Okay. I want to show us, I want to show us a scripture. I want to show us, I want to show us a scripture. Sorry, one minute. Can you just pray in the Holy Ghost for one minute? Just pray. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. Just pray and say, Lord, host, open my eyes to understand this even as we continue in the Holy Ghost. Just pray in the Holy Ghost for just one minute. Just, Lord, help me to understand all that I have in you. Help me to understand all that I am in you. Help me to understand all that I have in you. Father, help us to understand how that we have in you. Help us to understand. Help us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Luke chapter 9, verse 
Let's go from verse 57. Sorry, verse 57. He said, and they were going along the road. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds and foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no way to lay his head. To another he said, follow me because, follow me. But he said, let me first go and bury my father. And he said, and he said to him, leave the dead to bury the, their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another he said, I will follow you. I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand on the plow and looks back. No one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Now, one of the knowledge that you must have, one of the knowledge that you must have as a believer is that the preaching of the gospel is a priority. You should put that down. That the preaching of the gospel is what? Is a priority. It is a ministry that you have received and that ministry is of great priority. So what you have received is of what? Of great priority. Now, look at the last verse of 62. It said, no one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, this part is not talking about uh, backsliding as well. Because most of the time, we use, this, we use most of the scriptures for backsliding, right? So, to put your hand on the plow, right, it simply means, it simply means to, to join, to, to be part of a ministry, actually. That's what it means. To be part of a ministry of sharing the gospel. That is actually what it means. Now, the kingdom here is talking about the activity that takes place in the kingdom of God, which is preaching of the gospel, right? That activity is preaching. So, he's saying that whosoever puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not fit for the preaching of the gospel because he's not taking it as a priority. And how did I know that person is not taking it as a priority? Is that when I look at the previous verses... From verse 57, he explained to you a series of people that were not taking the gospel as a priority. Do you get it? So let's check it. He said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to, said to him, Fox, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but I don't have where to lay my head. He's basically saying, I'm going around preaching. To another, he said, follow me. Now, he now told one, follow me. Now look at the excuse he said. He said, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So it means that Jesus is inviting people, right, to come and teach about the kingdom of God, to come and teach about the exploits of God, to come and teach about, but they lack the knowledge that this is meant to be a priority. So what did they do? They did what? They gave excuses. Very valid excuses. Interesting excuses. Let me just... Let me just do this first and come. And Jesus is not saying, oh, it's not nice to do those things. But he's saying that the preaching of the kingdom, we must know that it is what's a priority. So when they call for evangelism, it will be wrong for you to put all other things, activities, above you going to preach the scripture. 
The person said, I'm, I'm going to bury my father, which is, which is valid. He's, he's doing uh, 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 I mean, an honor in their culture. The second one says, I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to my family. You know, let me tell them that, ah, your expectations about me should change, Joe. I might not be coming home early again. I might be, you know, out there with Jesus. I might, you know, he's trying to go and give explanation of the new ministry he has received. But Jesus said, you don't need that. You don't need to do that. You just have to jump on it and continue in it. Do you get it? So the knowledge that the scripture or the knowledge that the preaching of the gospel is a priority from e for every believer is key. Do we get it? That is why he now said, whosoever puts his hand on the plow. Now, let me explain to you. A plow is something that is being used to work, right? When you work on the field, on the um, agriculture, those that just do agriculture, you push the plow, you get a result, right? You prepare, you get a result. It's used in agriculture. So in that, there is a result that you expect to see when you use the plow. True or false? So it means that it cannot be salvation. Because if it's salvation, if that plow is salvation, it will mean that you are working it. You are, you are doing something to gain salvation. Do we get it? Do we get it, right? So one, it is not salvation. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about the preaching of the gospel. It's talking about a ministry that will bring people into the kingdom of God. So, if you say it's of salvation, that means your salvation, you did get your own by works. So, it's not. It's not. And it is not backsliding. It's only saying that someone who is now, someone whose priority is different. Right? Someone who, whose, whose heart and mind is not with the Lord and is putting, you know, today you go for evangelism, tomorrow you give excuse. The kingdom expands. By prioritizing what? The preaching of the gospel. So this kingdom expands by what? By prioritizing the preaching of the gospel. These are the things that are yours in Christ that you must know. So that the communication of your faith will be effective. Do you get it? You go to evangelism today. You learn many things. You see how people interact. You do not go again. After six months, you go. You cannot be effective in the communication of your faith. You cannot be effective in evangelism. You cannot. You must always, don't forget one of those scriptures we read from the Old Testament. It said, proclaim the salvation of the Lord every day, every day. So evangelism is something that you should do every day. Every day. Like when you wake up, your priority should be who will believe the gospel today? Who will believe the gospel? Somebody must believe the gospel today. That is you putting your hand on the plow and not looking back. When you do evangelism every day. So that by the communication of your, by, by the knowing of all this as priority, you can speak effectively. And so most of us can testify to this, that the more you go for evangelism, the more you know how to answer questions about the gospel. True of us. The more you go for evangelism, the more you know how to answer questions pertaining the scriptures. 
the more you know how to initiate conversation. We're going to talk about initiating conversation tomorrow. Right? Tomorrow morning. So, the more you do it, the more you... So, you have to continually communicate the gospel of Christ. Which is the deliverance of God. And yesterday, Pastor Olu told us that the explanation of it is what Christ did. Right? The death, the burial, and the resurrection is the explanation of the deliverance of God. Hallelujah. Are you blessed? All right, 2 Timothy 3, 15. So we've talked about knowledge, right? We've talked about knowledge. We've talked about the priority, the, the, the teaching of the gospel as a priority for the believer. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3, 15. It says, how from... In- KJV, please. Let's... Let's just stay on that. Sorry. It said, and, and that from a child thou art known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in what? In Christ Jesus. True faith, which is in what? In Christ Jesus. Actually, I should have started with the scriptures. All this thing I said from the beginning. Actually, I should have started with the scriptures. But this is not, I just, I just changed it that. I will start with I will start it, I will start the way I started. I could have actually started with these scriptures. Because these scriptures, you know what the scripture is saying? Now, if you read it, it said, make you to wise, uh, make you wise, sorry, are able to make the wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not saying that um, this is not it's not it's not explaining that uh Timothy will gain salvation. He's not talking about Timothy gaining salvation here. That is not what he's talking about. Let's break it into pieces. He said that from a child, that from infancy, thou art known, right? Known. The word known there is actually explaining his acquaintance with the scriptures. Okay? So we establish that. And by acquaintance with the scriptures would mean that Timothy is looking at which scriptures? Genesis towards to Malachi. And when we started this teaching, we looked from Genesis to Malachi, right? To check for what salvation is. So that is why I said I could have started from this. Because he, in the understanding of salvation, right? Timothy understood salvation from the scriptures. That is what it means. Right? It meant that Timothy understood salvation from the scriptures. So he said, you have known the holy scriptures Right, which has the capacity to make you wise. The word wise there is actually the word sophizo, yes, sophizo, which is from the word sophia, which is related to wisdom. Right, so it is like training you. The scripture has been able to train you and equip you and make you someone who can teach salvation from where from the scriptures. So it means that. Timothy, therefore, became skilled by his acquaintance with the word, with the scriptures, to teach about salvation. Now, this word, um, this same word now, this same word, sophizo, right, is also the same word that was, interestingly, it appeared twice. It's also the same word that was used to say that, can you give me first Peter, 2 Peter 1, 16? I'll just say this last thing and we'll conclude. 
For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Now, the word cunningly is actually this same word, <laughs> sophizo, interestingly. Right? When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, so that word sophizo or sophia or cunningly uh, or make thee wise is actually explaining that it entails crafting, being crafted, right? When something is being crafted, when something is being trained and skilled and empowered, let me put it that way. So in this context, he's saying that we have not following crafting fables, right? When we made known the things about Christ to you, we did not use crafting. We did not carry fables and craft them together and present it to you. That is what I'm saying here. In the other one, he's saying that the scripture will craft. By the scripture, you can craft out. It means that you can understand. So it means you pick a scripture, you pick another scripture, and you do like this. And they explain what's salvation to you. Do we get it? So when you say cunningly, I mean, that's why, you know, English does not help because he also used that word cunningly for the devil too, right? He used it, but it's not exactly the same. So you have to really check the origin of the word because you will find this word in many ways, many ways in the scripture is not sophizo, is not. So, but what I'm trying to explain is that the knowledge of the scripture, the knowledge of the scripture helps you to be able to explain salvation, that is why we went all along up until the epistles to explain salvation. So it means that you have to intentionally go to the scriptures and see what salvation is. From all the scriptures we've read, we, we can do that. So for you to be able to teach and to preach effectively, you need to know. You need to go to the scriptures and teach. So we're going to stop here for today and we'll continue from, from here tomorrow. So the emphasis of this is that you have the knowledge and you must grow in the knowledge of the scriptures. You must grow in the knowledge of the scriptures. You must know all that is yours in Christ. You must take the preaching of the scripture as a priority, the preaching of the gospel as a priority you must not abandon the whole testament because they contain the scriptures. And by that, you'll be an effective what? Evangelist. You'll be an effective what? Evangelist. I've not read, uh, I've not read Matthew 28. I've not even, we've not talked about that. You know, most of the time when we go for evangelism, that's the first one we go for, right? Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, you know. But in all of this, have we seen salvation? Have we seen evangelism? Praise God. Can we just give thanks and just say, Father, thank you, Jesus, for opening our eyes to see the scriptures. Thank you for explaining the scriptures to us. Thank you for seeing that you yourself, you have preached the message of salvation. Just say, Lord, help me to be committed. Help me to be committed to the teaching of the, to the preaching of the gospel.